Welcome to the Red Raven Games Podcast, episode 30. I'm Ryan Lockett. I'm Brenna Asplund. And I'm Andrew Frick. And we are here at the Red Raven Games studio in Sandy, Utah. Beautiful, sunny, sandy Utah. <laughs> it's been really nice. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I've heard that we get more sun, uh, sunny days in the year than San Diego does. I believe it. I mean, we are a desert. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think that because I'm thinking winter and, you know, snow and all that. But no, I guess yeah. we get a lot of rain, rainy days, cloudy days in San Diego. Yeah, that makes so. sense. Yeah. Here's another weird thing. The mm-hmm. <laughs> same distance drive. Uh, it's about the same distance to Phoenix as it is to San Francisco. Oh, hey. I always thought Phoenix was closer. So did I. Wait, but from here, from where we're at? Yeah, from right here. Okay. okay. So either it's almost the same. It's, a, it's actually a little farther to San Francisco, but I was surprised that they were so similar. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. So I totally thought Phoenix was like the nearby place. Yeah. yeah the problem <laughs> is you have to drive around the Grand Canyon. You yeah, can't go you like do. a straight shot to Phoenix. Interesting. That makes sense. So it's a little... It's kind of far. Yeah. There you go. So, what are we doing? Well, lately, I'm trying to finish the uh, Empires of the Void art. We're working on the rule book and the art, and just, it, you know, every time... This is turning out to be one of our biggest games, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be, because I thought Near and Far was, like, the massive game, the biggest game we would ever do, but Empires of the Void is... Um, there's a lot in this box. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, luckily, there's no there's no storybook, so that takes a lot of complicated stuff out of the process. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention, is Near and Far had a lot of development time just in the storybook and stuff, and this doesn't have that, so yeah. there's not that complexity there. But I think there might be more art that you have to do for this one than there was for Near and Far. I think there's more art. And definitely more complicated art. Yeah, more complicated art. Like, right now what I've been doing is my, one of my least favorite parts of the whole thing. Every time I've done this, because I've done this like, uh, let's see, this might be number 18, 19, or 20, the 20th game I've um, done art for. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I'm counting games I've done for other companies. Other publishers, yeah. 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 Rio Grande. And yeah. yeah. It's probably number 20. Anyway, um, is the punch board layout. So, you yeah. know, when you, when you take those, you know, you get the new game, you take out the punch boards, and then you punch out all the the pieces, right? The cardboard pieces. Well, getting those laid out is always a pain, at least for me, because you have to make sure that they fit right. You're trying to fit them on, you know, on on as few punch boards as possible. And you have to get all the measurements perfectly right. They have to be a certain distance from each other. You know, the text, blah, 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 blah. I could go on forever. <laughs> I hate this. It takes forever. So I've been essentially, doing it for Essentially, it's a lot of math. Yeah, it is. it is. And it's a lot of tedious stuff. And also, there's a lot of... So for some of these pieces, I've been using placeholder art. So when I get to that piece, I can't just like put it in the punch board. I have to... It's like, oh, now I have to paint something. So I stop what I'm doing, and I open up a, a canvas, and I start painting. And then I finally, you know, hours later, I'm done, and then I can put that piece in the punch board. And then I move on to the next piece. Oh, I have to paint this, too. Mm. And so... It sounds like very been, long and it's just a long process, I mean, yeah. So it's been weeks. I've been doing this for weeks. But, um, oh, man, I'm so excited about the, the game. I think it's one of my best-looking games. Like, looking at all the punch boards together... It's really cool looking. Well, I want. I I know for a fact that some people's favorite part about getting a new game 
is punching out those pieces. So when you're when you're frustrated and you know tearing out your hair, there, just remember, remember that guy who's just so happy to be in the game store still. He's ripping off the shrink, he's popping the lid, and he's just going right over to the trash can, right sitting at a table right near, bringing the trash can over, punching out those pieces to his heart's delight, getting baggies and bagging everything up. Some people love that. It's like very therapeutic. I mean, I should say I, I dislike it. I mean, it's tedious, but it's actually rewarding. Like when you when you like finishing the whole thing feels really. It's fun. Well, it's like you it's realized, right? Yeah. It's that close. Now it's, yeah. it's a step away. And it's from sort of the reality. quality control part. It's like, okay, we've been using this weird icon forever. Let's let's upgrade it. And so you upgrade the icon, and suddenly everything has this nicer looking icon. And so everything looks better. Cool. Yeah, it's exciting. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And um, I'll do. I'll, I'll post an update soon on the on the Kickstarter page with some of the art and some of the things I've been doing. We also are working on near and far fulfillment. Yes, I spent uh, all of last week knee deep in spreadsheets. Oh yeah, uh, that's getting a fun everything. Job. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah. were, you, were you playing a four X space game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was preparing the shipping documents for near and far, which was a pretty involved process with how many backers that we have and with the yeah. with the three different. Uh, items that go into the different shipments and mix and matching them and stuff like that. But got all that done, got them all sent out to our various fulfillment centers, and the yeah. the wheels are turning, the processes are rolling to try to get those games into our backers' hands. Yeah, yeah. so it should be soon. I want to say in the next month or so, they'll probably be getting a package if you back to near and far. So. Yep. What about for retail then? So are, is it... Fair to say that we're probably thinking around origin, kind of yes, lining up around that time? Uh, probably around then. So maybe within a few days or like the next week, retailers can expect to probably see copies kind yeah. of line up. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. That's yeah. good news. Yeah. So Coming soon. I'm very excited for everyone to get it. Okay, so let's move on to the questions section. We have a couple questions okay. from people. So a couple weeks back now, I asked for uh, some listener questions on Twitter and got a pretty good response. So our first question, our first question is from Brian Kolsinski. Kolsinski, or yeah. Kolsinski. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, helped us with uh, a playtester for uh, Emperor's of Void 2. I think he's one of our... Yeah, yeah. Guys yes. Sorry about the name there. Please <laughs> Sorry, tweet at me and with a pronunciation guide so I can start getting your name right. But uh, he asks... So I can only think of a couple good sports-themed board games. Why do you think there aren't more? What is the best sport-themed game to date? So I guess this goes back to that question. Um, are, are board gamers in general, how much are they into sports? Not very much, I think. I think some, I mean, obviously some people are. But do you think it's fewer people than the standard population? Maybe that's why? I think that I think that could be a contributing factor. <laughs> yeah, I, I might agree with that, but I do have a, a perspective on this. Like one of my best buds, um, uh, Steve-O, he he works at one of the other game publishers now, and I remember when he was just starting to introduce games to myself and to others, he had a few like sport themed games because some of his buddies were athletes, you know, in college yeah. and stuff, and so he liked the theme and he knew, you know, think of what interests they had. And bring games to them. I think it's the same way if, like, I had a buddy that liked Battlestar Galactica TV show, 
he didn't play board games, I'd probably want to introduce him that way. So, oh, yeah. So as for him, it was interesting as he approached it, at least my perception of this, was that he was thinking of common friends. A lot of them liked camping and a lot of them liked sports. So he was picking games that, that met that, that and, and that brought them into the interest. hobby through that. Then they were going to conventions and stuff with us. We'd go camping. We'd play all sorts of like little like werewolf whodunit kind of games because that's the kind of activities that yeah. hobbies that we had, you know? Yeah. So I've seen people that I've heard people talk about like baseball highlights, 2045 and yeah, I want to play that. Bottom of the ninth. And oh yeah. People talk about these are great gateways to get people yeah. in. And I think because there are so many, and I don't want to say it's male only, but I would think it's, I think it's fair to say a lot of men like sports, right? That's kind of like their, what do you like to do? I like sports. Like, yeah. what did you or watch? Certain sports. Certain yeah. sports, right? Like, it's kind of like that uh, thing. And so I can see that that would be a way to bring people into the hobby. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess but, we, uh, yeah. One thing that's interesting is that, you know, you think you'd probably say the same thing about people who play video games, right? Yeah. That you would think there wouldn't be a lot of overlap with interest in sports. Yeah. But sports video games has been a very big, very high-earning genre for a long time. For 30 years. Yeah. yeah. And I... I <laughs> feel like one of the differences might be that I think it's actually probably easier because of sort of the digital medium to get a new version of the game out every year with like updated rosters with all the most up-to-date like players that everyone knows and recognizes. You can have Madden 17 and then Madden 16 or like, you know, counting up and have those updates. But with the physical medium, I think it's probably harder to release a new version with the updated roster every year that everyone's going to be like, Oh, I want the, I want the new one that has this athlete that I love on it. You yeah, know, that's a great point. I, I mean, I would say a lot of the appeal of sports is lost when you convert it into a cardboard version. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I mean, like, so obviously there's, there's strategy, you know, and there's like, you know, you have you have players with different statistics, and that that definitely can translate into a board game. But um, a lot of the excitement of the sport is the performance of the individual player, and you you kind of lose that when you get to it. Yep, and I think cardboard. <laughs> you know, one of the most famous and popular versions of sort of a card, like a board game adjacent thing with sports, is like baseball cards. Yeah, and those are hugely popular. But again, those are like collectible items where you want to get your favorite athletes. Yeah, yeah. And you want to own the rare athletes. Those are only those only work because of the people. Exactly. You know, that and are I think the living people. And I think that's what makes uh, sports video games survive too, is those licenses yeah. with the real athletes that are in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I haven't played many sports tabletop games, but uh, I don't know. It'd be fun to play a few. I have a couple what more thoughts think? on that, if I, if yeah. I may. Yeah. Just a thought on that is, you know, so board gaming, I don't want to say, like, people who like board gaming are all one type of individual, but when I think of, like, tabletop gaming, when I talk, I mean, tabletop, I know people use tabletop synonymous with board gaming. I'm talking about, like, war games, you know, like yeah. the tabletop miniatures. You have armies, and you're basically trying to flank and come around and route this group. In a lot of ways, that reminds me kind of like football, like American football. Well, I would well, say there's a lot of interest in football 
in, in, in war, war gaming. gaming. Yeah. Well, and, and there's um there's well, yeah. Blood Bowl, right? Right, and Blood Bowl. So that's the Warhammer uh, right. football, football, football game. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm coming at it. Like all these games have these skirmish and lines and like defenses yeah. and and so and it's kind of like a sport. So I feel like people who maybe I wonder if there's a big correlation between people who like sports and people who like tabletop miniatures games because it's almost like a glorified say, yeah. sport. And then we see there's Blood Bowl. Then there's uh, there's uh, Guild Ball, which is a new one that's really popular. There's a couple other ones yeah. that come out. Dread Ball, and there's, uh, I think, still a fourth that's like a soccer uh, tabletop yeah. one. And, mm. and and so miniatures games seems to get that. Because then you can have a miniature. You spend time assembling and painting it. And that's this character with unique abilities. And yeah. I can see that crossover. Well, football, when, you come, when it comes down to it, it and I mean I, some other sports as well, but it, it's inspired by, like, Battles, battles, right? Yeah. <laughs> like medieval battles, you got one line against the other, and yeah, exactly. In a lot of ways, uh, you know. And, and I had another thought on that, and that was, um, you know, so you have these different, uh, you know, we're talking about sports games. You asked what was a, I guess he asked what is like a popular one that I like. My favorite happens to be Battle Ball, which was one that Milton Bradley put out, which was like a light. I think it was Games Workshop and Milton Bradley back when they were doing games like Hero Quest and Battle Masters, and it was a football. It was it's great. It had like each play, each miniature guy was like big beefy guys and like so like fantasy skinny creatures. fantasy like yeah. ones that like you know small uh, sprinter guys. But you had a little three sided football. It was like a three sided die that whenever it was a fumble, you'd roll it, and wherever it would roll, you kind of see how many spaces it would bounce, and you were trying to get your guys, but you were battling with dice to beat the guys, and I think it was very much like, like you said, Blood Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. It was that kind of game, and I liked it because it was simple, and it played in under an hour, and it was a lot of fun, and yeah. so, you know, and when we, I have one more thought, and it's long-winded, but, <laughs> so look at some of the games, Ryan, that you've done recently, like, we've got Above Below, Islebound, and Near and Far, and I think, I'm thinking about Near and Far a lot in regards to this, but each of those games have these unique characters, and the characters have unique abilities. And people kind of like, oh, I really want that guy. Or, oh, that guy's really cool. Or, you know, or, oh, this, oh, man, look at her abilities. Like, she's got two of this symbol on her character. That's so awesome, right? Yeah. And that kind of, like, roster building is kind of something that you do. That you already kind of have going in some of these games. So so maybe Brian's question is leading here. I don't know. But maybe maybe the next thing is making, like, rosters of teams of abilities. Who knows? And I do definitely think that uh, there's a big appeal to building that roster and building your team. And that's a big draw of sports games in general, video games and board games. But I think it's a little tougher when you don't have the recognizable names, like, a lot of the video games, you want to have all those real athletes. So you can be assembling your dream team from real athletes that you yeah. already know. But I think some of that can be offset because you're like, oh, well, these are just, you know, boring randos. I don't want to assemble a team <laughs> from these people I don't know. But if you add like a fun fantasy twist or something to it, like Blood Bowl does, then that can add some appeal back in yeah. where people might be willing to play a sports game even without those recognizable figures. Yeah, so you're yeah. saying that there should be a captain named Am with a, a you know a yeah. run back a runner back with the name Greer and maybe you know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the next near quarter bar. quarterback Football. named Vera. There we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, what's our All next right. question? Next question comes from uh, Jerlanska. Again, I just apologize if I mispronounce everyone's names, but. Uh, 
So uh, they ask, with success coming well for you and more of your games rapidly coming out, where would you like to see your company three years from now? Um, I would like to see it at about the same place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, Red Raven, I started Red Raven because I wanted, to, I love to make stuff and I love to make games. And if I can just keep doing that, that is that is what makes me happy. So, I awesome. mean, obviously, selling more games is fantastic. And But anything that I have found, that anything that sort of complicates the whole process, is, is it sort of takes me away from the original idea. Increasing so, production. and Essentially, his, you know, the question is, like, increasing the amount of games coming out even, right? Yeah. That all complicates, like you're saying. Yeah, it, it, it complicates things, and it, you know... So, so that short answer is, um, I mean, not, I mean, not in the same place. I want to make new games. I want to explore new territory. I want to try out new stuff. You know, that's really what's exciting to me is, is exploring new um, designs and and making new worlds. That's that is what I really want to do. But as far as becoming more like doing extra crazy projects, you know, I'm not as excited about that. Yeah, that makes and, sense. So you know, and. and so instead of like some companies maybe like Stronghold or maybe even Tasty Minstrel that are putting out like right they announce a roster of ten new games yeah. like coming out in one year. Well, and it comes down to like I can only do so much work, right? Yep. Uh, and I kind of want to keep it. That's that's part of it is like most of the games like I I want to do the art on mm -hmm. or most of the art at least. So so like yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. part of it. Okay, so thanks Jeremiah for the question. Yeah. Uh, next question, also from Jer. Above and Below is amazing. Near and Far is coming out soon and looks amazing as well. Are you planning to continue with a storytelling type game? Yeah, we'll totally keep doing storytelling games. I really like adding the storybook. I will say making games with storybooks is really taxing mm -hmm. and complicated. Time consuming. And very time consuming. And um, so we can't, every game can't have that. Um, additionally, uh, I will say when you do a story game, it's hard to, making a story game work with Euro game mechanics, I have found is extremely challenging. Mm. Like, um, when, if you just make a game that's, that's kind of random, that's just a lot of stories, that is in some ways easier. But when the stories have to tie in with sort of a, a clock, you know, like with, with, with a, a functioning uh, machine, which is the, the game, Yes. That is, that's very challenging. So like Near and Far went through so many iterations. Like I had to try so many different things to get it to where I was happy with it. You know, um, even before Brenna or Andrew worked here, um, I had gone through, you know, six versions, uh, all with tons of different mechanics just to try to make it work. You know, at one point there was like a, there was like a good and evil track and like, depending on what you chose in stories, like, um, if, if people kept choosing evil stuff, like at the end of the game, there would be like something would happen based on everyone's choices. You would go through and see, did people choose more evil things or did more good things? And so... I don't know. Yeah, that's quite different. <laughs> yeah. 
We yeah. tried that a few times and we ended up dropping it because what happened is like people would always, they would automatically choose evil every time or automatically choose good every time because they wanted to move the, the story tracker up. It's like a Bioware game, right? Yes. Or like you'll always choose good because you want to have the paragon, the, the complete paragon. So you won't think about the choices that you're making and just automatically always choose the good. Does that happen? Right. Instead yeah, of there being some does. sort of range in the middle even or like, yeah. you know, like there's only benefits on the far extreme. So you, you almost like pick one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up dropping that. Anyway. Yeah. We'll do more story games. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Next question comes from Mike Risley, who asks, uh, we had a whole thread going previously, but what Hanna-Barbera cartoon would y'all most like to make a game out of? <laughs> I remember seeing their Twitter conversation they were yeah. having about it. Um, did you guys watch a lot of... Have you watched a lot of... I did, uh, but it's been years. It's hard to even recall uh, that yeah. part a, of my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's been. A, I've only seen watched a handful so of let's them. Let's see. We got Flintstones, Jetsons. Yes. Yogi the Bear. Right? Yeah. Uh, Ms. Uh, Boris and Natasha and Rocky and Bullwinkle. Is that is no. Rocky and Bullwinkle? I think is. Is it? I don't I know. Think if it so. is. I can't is what about Mr. Peabody and Sherman? Is that one? That is. Here, yeah. let me look up. Let me look up. Wait, gosh. <laughs> I'm sure this is great audio. <laughs> I know. Dastardly? Dastardly, uh, the dog. That's one, right? The guy with the goggles and the Was the Pink the Panther? Uh, Boy, know. we're not doing so great here. Okay, okay, here. I, okay, I looked up. I, I looked I, I up a list. Say, before you say it, I'm okay. going to guess Rocky and Bullwinkle is not. Okay, well, I haven't looked through the whole list yet, but I think you might be right. But, okay, we've got the Jetsons. Yes. Yeah. Flintstones, right. Wacky Races. Don't remember that. The Huckleberry. Yes. Yeah. Huckleberry Dog, Hound. Yeah. Yep. Huckleberry Hound. Yep. Top Cat. Don't remember that. Johnny Quest. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hong Kong Fooey. Nope. Yogi Bear. Yes. Okay. Scooby Doo. Okay. Was okay. Hanna Barbera. Yeah, uh, Wally Gator. The Rough and Ready Show. Pixie and Dixie. Okay, of all those, like I can say the four that I know is the ones we talked about. Like the yeah. Scooby Doo, well, yes. The first two. I forgot Scooby Doo. And then uh, Yogi, Yogi But but yeah, Rocky and Bowling Close. So so yes. Yeah, there's a Mike, there's a lot more, but those are the ones that I recognize yeah. mostly. Uh, which Flintstones one? games would be fun. I would do a Flintstones game. I don't know about any of those. <laughs> no, <they're... laughs> oh, I want to make a Johnny Quest game. Johnny Quest. Oh, you know That what? could be fun. That could be cool. Yeah. Okay, I agree. Johnny Quest, yeah. I played a Johnny Quest video game when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? It was like kind of an adventure game. I feel like it would fit it like well for an click. adventure was, game. I'm trying to remember. It was kind of a point-and-click game. Yeah, that seems like it would fit yeah. well. I guess Scooby-Doo could work well, too. Yeah. Scooby-Doo could also be fun, but that would just be, you know, kind of like a standard mystery game. But Johnny Quest, you could do like a, you know, like a really hammy, old school, like cheesy spy type thing. Yeah. Could be fun. You could travel all over. And, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go, Mike. <laughs> the Flintstone game on Super Nintendo, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So now Mason Weaver asks... What would be your ideal mechanism for a Mr. Magoo game? So along Mr. the same Magoo. question. These are interesting. The same thread, basically. No, it's a different person, well, but it's on the same, same conversation. Oh, 
Well, yeah. Mr. Magoo, remind me, he's the he's blind. Yeah. What else about him? I don't know anything about Mr. Magoo. Like it bumbles around because he can't see well. Is that kind of it? But I'm gonna look it up. He's out smart things, I guess. So I, yeah, I'm not quite as familiar. What would be the main mechanism? Okay, I'm looking up the the Wikipedia page here. I got it. Right here. Read, read, read a little okay. bit, and then I already know what the... Quincy Magoo is. is a wealthy, short-statured retiree who gets into a series of comical situations as the result of his blindness, oh, yeah. compounded by his stubborn refusal to admit the problem. However, through uncanny streaks of luck, the situation always seems to work itself out for him, leaving him no worse than before. Yeah, so the main mechanic would be, like, uh, push your luck, like... Uh, um, was that Diamond? What's that? Yeah, Diamond or Ink and Gold. Ink and Gold. So in Ink and Gold, the way it works is um, you have a deck of cards, and you're all going into the uh, the temple to yep. find treasure. And you draw treasures, you draw treasure, draw treasure, and then mixed in there are like bad stuff, threats, like, yeah, mm-hmm. spider or like a, something that hurt you. boulders, or, yeah, boulder or something. Now, if you draw one of those, then it doesn't hurt you. But if the second one so comes the second up, second of the same, of, uh, if a copy of something that's already out comes up, then you lose everything. But if you leave, you can leave at any time, and whatever, whenever you leave, you take all the treasure that's been revealed. So, so you're trying before to go every as far card, as you can. You have to decide, everyone yeah. decides. So Keep going gets, or, or leave. So it gets riskier as you go on. So there's like, you, you'll you draw, you'll, all this treasure will be building up, and then like, more, all these threats will be out. And so you know that once the copy of any of those comes out, it'll go and you're like, I'm just gonna go one more, to get one a little more treasure, and it's fun. So anyway, Mr. Magoo could do that. It's like, uh, I guess, uh, obviously it would have to be different, but it would be a push your luck like that. Like mm-hmm. different different dangers that, that you would put, uh, that you would go through. Like, um, Maybe everyone plays cards against the play, other people. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, as, yeah, the, yeah. The, as the things, the threats, essentially, that he's like, just walking like, right through and not, like not a paint triggering can or a, <laughs> yeah. uh, a glass window. Passing like car. A passing car or <laughs> a boat dock. Some cards are duds and, and fakes and others are actual yeah. like, things. So the people have to choose if they're going to keep going on their own run yeah. of the cards before they say, yeah, yeah we get out. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. That See? makes sense. That's fun. Okay. Go design it, somebody. Okay, yeah. so... Uh, I might play it once. <laughs> <laughs> James O. Butler asks, have you started work on You Can Date a Glogo? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I am. Only in our hearts. Uh, <laughs> Brennan has. She has a whole notebook full. <laughs> just got just a notebook idea. full of about all of the bachelors set up, all of the, <laughs> the information about all of them. and. Okay, Mike Risley asks again, so this is Mike Risley asked a question earlier as well. So what weight would you consider Haven to be compared to, say, uh, Eight Minute Empire Legends or Artifacts, Inc.? I'm going to let you guys answer that. Well, I, I don't have a computer in front of me to kind of check this, but, you know, looking at, like, the board game geek weight ranging one to five, I'm going to guess that Eight Minute Empire, Empire is probably uh, like a... 2.2 or something like that. I'm not yeah, familiar are, with that rating. Legends a would be a little heavier. Le- Legends might be a 2.3 or 2.4, right? So I would say 
between all those, I would say this is probably, and that's, I'm going off the scale in my mind. I could be totally off on this range. So, you know, take this range and adjust it if you're on Pretty and Geek and looking and saying I'm wrong. It's not official. It's not official <laughs> BGG, you know, level. But I would say, you know, probably put it right at about like a 2.7 or 2.8. Okay. Yeah, I would say that having played both of them and having learned both of them, I think that it's pretty comparable to Eight Minute Empire Legends in terms of so weight. Too. Yeah. Pretty close. Cool. I think because all the extra abilities and things that are in Haven and the different cards and learning yeah. how they interact. Because Empires, yeah. you can play and add things that add that kind of extra layers. That's Whereas true. like Haven's right out the gate with. I mean, just your own you, you, uh, asymmetric powers, but then there's, like, the kind of common decks, and so there's commons, and then your own unique extra pile. And so I think I think it might take a couple of plays through, whereas 8-Minute, both of them, even with, you know, let's be a little longer, a little bit more in it, Yeah. you know the game once you've played it once, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I think you kind of want two, maybe three plays be like, ah, I'm finally getting the nuance here, you know, and something like that. I still think Legends is, like, there's still some stuff to learn with the abilities on the different cards and stuff, even with just the base Legends without using any of the, like, extra complexities that you can add from the rule book or anything. Yeah. yeah. But that's just, you know, weight can be subjective. Especially so. as we get into the Lost Lands. There are a lot, like, yeah. a few more complicated ones. That's true. Yeah, right. fair enough. And that's that's the end of our listener questions segment. Awesome. Questions. Thanks for the questions, guys. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about what we've been playing, which we we've skipped this segment for a long time. That's true. Uh, we've been very busy, so it's uh, it's been difficult to uh, do podcasts that have been that you know just, we just haven't had time to do it. So yeah, uh, I'm sure we've been playing a lot of games. Um, I've been playing a lot. Of one game. Of one game. Oh, <laughs> Which is game. Persona 5. Yeah. Yes, I've played probably about 90 hours of it by now, and I'm still not through the main storyline. Wow. So it's a it's a hefty game. Yeah. But it's so much fun. I'm having such a good time with it. So, like, sort of the basic premise of the Persona series is that they're sort of a heavy RPG dungeon crawler type game mixed with a life sim. Okay. So you're going about your daily life as your, like, main character, and you can spend your afternoons, like, choosing who to hang out with to try to improve your relationships with people, or doing different actions, like studying to improve your intelligence, so that, like, later in the year when the final exams come up, you can ace them, or so whatever. So you walk around at this point, is it like a, is it, is it like a top-down type of a thing, or is it like a third-person... It's third-person camera, 3D art, so you're, like, walking so you're like around. walking around town, yep. mm-hmm. walk over to the store, walk to your house, yep. that kind of thing. Yep. Okay, talk to, walk to, over to the person who's out on the street and talk to them. Yep. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And, then you, and then also, like, one of the things you can do during your day is you can choose to travel into these dungeons, which in Persona 5 are kind of this a magical other world that represents the psychology of different people. So it's kind of a little bit like a inception-y where you're sneaking into other people's minds to like change their personalities and change oh, them weird. and stuff. So all the dungeons are like mental dungeons? Yes. Oh, okay. And so while you're in the dungeons... So how do you go there? Do you, do you go to like, do you like hook up your, 
your brain to like a tube that well, you have, goes to the you have an app. It's in a briefcase. You have this <laughs> mystical smartphone app. Like this is seriously what it is really? in the game that like magically appeared on your phone one day mysteriously oh, so only you have that it. lets you navigate to it. Only you have it, and then slowly throughout the game, you gain more teammates that have it too. Oh, okay. Like it appears on their phone, and they unlock their mystical powers or whatever, so that you have more characters to like build your party from. Because when you go in the dungeon, it's like hardcore, intense JRPG, <coughs> like turn-based battle system dungeon crawler. Okay. Now, is there is there movement in the battles, or is it like um, more like a Not... old school like line? Versus yeah, line. it's line versus line. Okay. It's there's no movement in the battles, but there's a bit of movement outside of the battles. Yeah. So there's kind of there's the monsters that run around outside in the dungeon, and you can sneak around to try to sneak up on them. Okay. And if you sneak up on them, then you get an yeah, advantage in the advantage. battle. Okay. If they sneak up on you, then you'll start like surrounded by the enemy, right. and you'll have a pretty major disadvantage. Right. So okay. there's a little bit of, like, running around and hitting things outside of the actual, like, turn-based battle system. But Okay. Do you have um, <coughs> HP and MP? Yes. So you have, so you have like, your hit points, and that's just your health. Yeah. And then you have your SP, which is, like, your special, special power powers. stuff. Okay. And when you're going in a dungeon, so you can go into the dungeons whenever you want and sort of go as far as you can into them. But you can only save or, like, leave the dungeon from specific, like, safe rooms. Okay. And if you get... So, you're like, you're trying to kind of push your luck to try to get as far into the dungeon as you can before you're forced to leave. Because if you because leave it'll waste then, time. you won't get any of the stuff you picked up? Well, you just will waste time. Because, oh. like, you have a limited amount of days in the game. Yeah. Like, you only... And usually you have a deadline for completing a specific dungeon. Okay. And if you go through the whole dungeon in a day, say, then you have all these other weeks to do the stuff in your life sim. Oh, but if no. you spend extra time going into the dungeon, I you're see. not spending as much time building up your social stats and stuff. It's about efficiency. It's about efficiency. So, no, <laughs> but, here's, the, here's the money question. Mm-hmm. Does your HP automatically refill after battle? See, that is the money question. It does not. Oh, and there are ways there are ways you can refill HP with items and also with using your skills with your SP. But your SP also does not refill. Okay. And it doesn't refill like uh, with very many items either. You can't spend HP to refill your SP and. SP restoring items are extremely rare. So really, after the dungeon, that refills. Yes. So here's so the deal. you have to manage your SP to see how far you can get into the dungeon before you run out of okay. your SP, which lets you do the different special abilities. Yeah, and that sounds interesting. I feel mm-hmm. like for years they relied, like a lot of designers relied on a system where your HP would automatically refill after yes. every battle. And I feel like that mechanic is broken. I just dislike it, it. It takes away all the long-term planning and resource management out of the game. I totally agree. What makes Persona so much fun is that the individual battles are pretty fun, too. Like, there's a lot of worrying about specific, like, um, elemental weaknesses of creatures, and there's ways you can, like, if you knock down all of the enemies, then you, like, hold them up with your guns, and you can get them to, like, give you money and items and stuff, or, like, <laughs> basically recruit them t- as, like, like familiars that give you extra powers basically mm. they're called personas but uh 
So there's a lot of fun mechanics in that, but part of what makes the dungeon crawling so much fun is that resource management, that you have to be so careful with your resources to to push your luck and see how far you can get, you know? Right, right. Which wouldn't be anywhere near as fun if your HP automatically recovered. Yeah. Cool. Sounds fun. Yeah. I, 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 I think I just heard the name before you started talking about this. Oh, yeah? And so I, I'm not familiar with the series, but now that you say that, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Like something I might play. It's Glad really you're enjoying good. it. Uh, if anybody out there has an extra PS4, you can send it to <laughs> Andrew, and I will also uh, maybe look into Persona. It's 5. also on the PS3. <laughs> oh well, there you have PS3. It is, yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, I'm the not. First Persona Five. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Oh my gosh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, they released it for both of them. I mean, it makes sense if it if you can make it work. You yeah, you might as well. Cool. A lot of people still play the PS3. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. So I've um, I'm gonna shotgun through some here. I've it's been a long time, so I don't even know. I'm not even going to try to travel log all my uh, gaming experiences. Go back experiences. to the first one okay. played after so let's the last see. time we talked about I was about fine. This. Okay, <laughs> if you want me to, I could. I probably could do it, but, but I'm not going to. But I you know, some things I've been kind of on my impressed me, games I've played. Uh, you know, International Tabletop Day, I got a chance to play a few games, and one that I learned was um, Food Chain Magnet. It was really neat, a really cool yeah. game, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, way more than I expected to, to like, but it's also a four- to five-hour game, so mm. it's an investment, and so... We're like, we got to play it again soon because we made some mistakes and it was a brutally unforgiving game. If you make one mistake, that's guess what? <laughs> Two and a half, three hours to go and you know you're not catching up. That's kind of thing. So that's you got to be a really a strong gamer for that. But now, is it is it just fun to like explore the mechanics? So even if you know yes. you're going to lose, it's just fun to... It's all about setting up restaurants and, and, and houses and then marketing campaigns and then little boys on bikes that go around and like create demand for pop sodas, and then you're trying to bring people who have not suddenly are craving like burgers and pizzas and sodas, and you're trying to make sure you have enough cooks in your kitchens that are making, this is a pizza cook, and this is a burger cook, and all these things get the right fulfillment, but the distance from your restaurant to the people might be closer to someone else's restaurant that has the same oh, yeah. demand to fulfill, but they might have a, a certain manager that they can reduce the prices now and make sounds, it cheaper. And, and so no, you're like, no, you're, no, it's cutthroat. It's really that cutthroat. Sounds, that sounds very complicated to keep track of. It was. Is it? It is. Is it a brain-burning thing? Like it like, is. Every turn, you start with one CEO who can have like three people underneath him. And then you're recruiting and buying cards from this massive tech tree of like, yeah. 30, 40 different decks of different types of employees, and you place them under. So other managers would go into them, and each manager can then have other people. And all the other people can be under either the CEO or any of the managers, but each of them have abilities, like marketer is a type of person, or a recruiter can hire other people. And as you're getting all these abilities, you have all these basic people, which are like basic cook can make one pizza, and a basic burger cook can make one burger, or a basic little kid can make a soda, a single soda. But as you use your recruiter people or to upgrade them, then you discard the old card and you get the upgraded version, which is like all the way up to like five or six tech trees up with really high managers or employees, and but they cost money and money's very tight. So at the end of every turn, you have to pay. So that means you have to have created enough demand and then supply demand so you're making money. If you don't, you're having to fire. So your pyramid could go massive and suddenly be down to your CEO because you didn't plan well and somebody else got all your demand. They fulfilled it and made all the money and then there's no demand left and you had... And then yeah. no money gained, and so now you can't pay your people, and you have to fire everybody. So it's a whole pyramid every turn you're laying out of trying to fill in these slots of your people. Now, this is a company that is known for making complicated, complicated engine, building engine building that are heavy, four to five hours games. all of them because yeah. there's so much. you got a, this resource, 10 of these, 
Splatter. Splatter. Ten resources of one type to make a paper, and paper I turn three <laughs> papers in to make this yeah. banana, and a banana I turn into, and it's this whole, like, yeah. all the way after two hours, you finally got this one of one resource, which you can now turn in for this, right? And, yeah. and As a... Le Havre's like that, too, but Le Havre's, like, half the length. Okay. In, comparably yeah, 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 yeah. to the to the complexity of the tech tree, like yeah. I'm t- speaking of robes and boats is one I played that was like that. Yeah. But. As a fan of like life sim type games, I can definitely see the appeal of a game like that. But also from your description, I feel like it's something my uh, civilization obsessed dad might enjoy, like yeah. all the tech trees and the managing Probably. and the. So yeah. here's the. I mean, this people is, say it's good. I think so. It's in the top. Say it's great. One hundred. I yeah. think it's like thirty yeah. something now. Yeah. Morgan Geek. It's doing really well. I will say this. It, if you want a game that will replace Monopoly, that is about the same length as Monopoly, that has a lot of economics, <laughs> then this, is the, this is the one. It's just like, so it's about the same length as Monopoly, but the rule book is about 100 times as long. Yeah, <laughs> a lot more complicated. A lot more going on that one, for sure. Yeah. So, so that was mm-hmm. one. How about you, Ryan? Well, um, I've been working a lot on games, so I haven't played many. Um, but I did get to play... Well, I have been playing a lot of Zelda, and yep. these guys have heard me talk a lot about it. A lot it. of the yeah. Breath of the Wild. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, as a lifelong Zelda fan, I, I really love it. So, uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the... You know, it, it's funny, because I get in this mode where it's just finish that game. You know, there's like, chase the ball until I get there. <laughs> yep. And... Uh, it's gripped you and you're committed now. You're like, yeah. I want to finish it. Like, I actually want to yeah. play this thing. Oh, through. I know what I played. I played, um, I, I played uh, Seven Wonders Duel, finally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I bought it and, because um, I wanted to, I, I, was at, I was actually at the bookstore and it was right there. Yeah. And um, I thought, oh, I haven't played this and, and it shouldn't be long. It, it, it's, it won't take long to play. It's like an hour or right. less. And so I did, and I took it home, and it's an interesting game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, From what people were saying, I got the impression like it was way different than Seven Wonders, and it didn't feel way different no. than Seven Wonders. But the whole pyramid layout has, is really neat. Yes, it has a different thing. So in Seven Wonders, that's a, um, a civilization-building game. I don't think you've played it, Brenna. I haven't. I've so, heard a bit about it, but I haven't played it before. Yeah, so the way it works is everybody has a hand of cards, and you pick one of them, and it's like a building or it's some piece of your civilization. You place it down, and then you pass the, the, the hand to the left, right? Uh, we yeah. have that mechanic in some of our games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So draft. Uh, yeah, but that's the whole game. That is the game. Oh. Is, is you pick a card, and you place it down. Oh, that's like Sushi Go. Yeah, it's like Sushi Go. Yes, that's right. So... Um, Anyway, some of the cards you have to pay for, um, and when you pay for them, you don't actually pay anything. You just have to have the resources on other cards that you own. If mm. you don't, you can look at other players, and you can pay them money to use to theirs. Use theirs. And so you're getting coins, and that, so there's a sort of little economy you're passing coins around. In this one, it's only a two-player game. So the way they do it is you don't pass hands of cards around. There's like a layout. Of, there's like a pyramid of cards laid out, and one row is like face down, and the next row is face up. And um, then one's face down and one's face up. And uh, you can take the face up cards, but you can't take the face down cards. But once all the cards that are on, on, that were covering the face down card are mm-hmm. removed, you flip that card up so you can see what it is. 
And you can take. So you start at like the bottom of the pyramid, right? Yeah. Pick a card, and then you can either pick a card next to it or the card above it. Yeah. So it's like it always has more than one one or more options, yeah. but you might be then giving the other person yeah. that next card. And so it's an interesting like yeah, tug of yeah. war. Like, are you going to do it? Do I take this lesser one? Because I know that way I don't let you get that. And that will force you to take this card. And that will then force us to have to move to the next yeah. row <laughs> and, of the pyramid. Now, like Sushigo, you're basically doing set collection. It's like, I want to get these cards because they work well together. Or sometimes it's just points. Like the card just has points on it. But oftentimes it's like you're trying to get a set. Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, and I think it's really good as a, like a two-player game. Yeah. Um, it had the, you know it had a few differences from the, the main difference from Seven Wonders is the pyramid of cards, and then there's like a little track where you're moving. Uh, it's like a military track. So if I get military, I move it toward you, and if I get far enough, then I win. Instantly. If you get yeah, otherwise the other person brings it back the other way. The yeah, tug of war. Get, so we had the tug of war like I was getting military, and then Mallory was getting military, and then it was like going back, and it got scary. Like she almost beat me at one point, so I'm like desperately trying to get military out, mm. so like she doesn't conquer me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. I really like that part. But the game itself, and the cards, and the abilities, and how it felt, it felt not different from Seven Wonders. Like Agreed. it was Seven Wonders. Yeah. For that two sounds players. like. That sounds like a really interesting way to adapt it, like draft mechanics, so that it works well for two people. That's exactly yeah. that's the novelty, and it took two great game designers. Yeah, they came together because one of them, Bruno Cathala, I think, who was working on it or something like that, and then or Antoine Bauza, who was the Seven Wonders designer, like came to Bruno and they kind of looked it together because yeah. one got stuck and like you know these are great game designers. I've right? made yeah. lots and lots of well, games it's in the industry, you know. Having played Seven Wonders, I would think it would be difficult to turn that into a two-player game. And they did. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's I cool. liked it. Yeah. Well, one more I've played. Uh, so I have begun uh, a campaign of Near and Far. Oh, nice. And, uh, right. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm getting together regularly on Tuesday nights with, with a group of guys in the community. And uh, we're all really excited. And we started uh, a couple of weeks ago our campaign. Um, and we kind of did a learning game. So we did the first map and we learned it. And uh, then we started just the other night. We did we, we did our second, uh, today's Wednesday when we're recording, so it was yesterday, yeah, yesterday actually. Felt, felt like a long time ago. Game. We did our second game. So we did the first um, you know, map of the campaign, uh, which is map two. And it went really well. Everyone loved it, had a great time playing. Um, you know, kind of interesting things that happened. Uh, so, so just to kind of give you guys an idea, if you're not following us on Facebook or something, you know, we have, uh, I'm playing Greer, the bearded robot. Uh -huh. um, we've got a guy, Kyle, he's playing Rin. And we've got uh, uh, two friends, Ronnie and Ryan. And uh, Ryan is playing Tanian, and Ronnie is playing Am. And, uh, and so, you know, how did it go? Well, it was a very close game. Uh, I think Kyle still ended the first time with 85 points, which was a 20-point lead over... The rest of us, we were all kind of points in the 60 which, to 65 which points. Is, which is not too bad since uh, the first game, the spread was a lot bigger. It was like... Yes. So I, <laughs> I was teaching, of course, I had played it, so I had like 77, and then one of the other guys had like 50s and 30s. And so yeah. it was Your good first that... first game, you know, yeah. trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, it was interesting, though, like where, you know, why it, it, there was a spread or why the scores are where they were. And um, one thing that I was seeing as I was looking at the cards afterwards is um, Kyle, who's playing Rin, uh, he ended up doing six quests. That yeah. means he had six encounters. So he was checking off checkboxes six times, which equates to coming away with three experience points 
by the end of that first map. Yeah. But he's going to be able to spend, if he wants, on an ability that he... Now, the rest of us have one or maybe two to be able to get... So that might not be enough for a real... Like, something might cost three or four, which is a better ability to have for the rest of the nine maps. That's... But now there are there now there are a bunch of them that do cost one or two. There are. So. I still think the twos and the threes are even better, and the fours <laughs> well, are even better. Yeah. So, so he's <laughs> in, he's kind of in a good situation. Good setup, yeah. But and with six quests, interesting to note that he had you know twenty points ahead. So was it the quests? I think that's a good part. I think doing getting quests camps built and are... getting rewards from quests. Don't underestimate that. You know that's, yeah, that's kind of sure. why people rush for that. And he had some a lot of characters in his party with swords. So I think he t- took away like eight or nine of all the threats. Like the whole threat wow. deck was done by the end. And he had, I think, both the five-point cards and the seven-point card. So, yeah. so anyways, no... Sounds sp- like he did. Yeah. He did, did well. You know, and he did. And we all had a great time. And, and no spoilers, you know, on the content of, you know, how the campaign plays out, but... But don't choose this one. <laughs> Paragraph nineteen. Right, right. But, but two of us are already along on a side quest, so that means when we hit the board and we get to a quest, rather than you know, let's say that it has number seventeen, we would not actually now resolve number seventeen. We wouldn't do what that encounter is yeah. on the board. We're doing something completely different. That it's been the the last encounter we did told us that you're now going to do Q twelve or you're going to do Q two. And so now we're going to, instead of doing what's on the board, we're going to continue on the side quest. Who knows how long we're going to be on these side quests, but they're going to carry over to the next map. So we're going to start the next map. As soon as we do our next quest, we are going to get to hear the continuation of the story as it's playing out. So it's kind of exciting. Nice. And one of the other characters, lastly, he, uh, he had two uh, encounters that gave him keywords. So what that means is like when he's going to get to do, let's say he does a quest, and if it says, usually the quests are laid out in the book where there's like option one and option two. Like one needs a skill of six, the other needs a combat of eight. Well, there's a keyword, it'll have a third paragraph usually before the first two paragraphs that says, if you have this keyword, like stop, do this paragraph this instead. instead. So he now has two of these unique keywords that could okay. give him potentially optional, exciting yeah. narratives to his his quest that the rest of us don't have. And so we haven't seen any of those yet, but uh, anyway, we're all really excited. We're having a good time, and uh, it's only the first game, so even with a 20-point lead, a lot can happen. I feel like I'm doing like a sports, uh, yeah. <laughs> a sports we'll announcer. See. We'll see. <laughs> Next time, just uh, rush out to those quests before yeah. one person can get them all, right? That's right. So next, we're excited. The next map we're going to do is going to be the Crimson Forest. Oh, yeah. So I mean, that's fun. That's give you an update next time when, when we've done that. So Yeah. I will say, I don't think you can win if you don't do quests. Yeah. I think it would be hard. I, I You could. You could. You could, but it but would be difficult. it's putting yourself at a disadvantage. You, you know, it does give you those extra... It's almost like it's almost like a free extra turn yeah, when you do those quests. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're having to spend hearts, and you're having to do, like, what you're losing, what you're going to have to yeah. send you back to town, but... It's more like the but scarcity. You, yeah. You know. And there's a scarcity there. So that resource is removed. So even if you build up a really great, like I found my engine, I think, was better than the other guys by the end. But all the quests were gone. Yeah. So then getting like, so if the game had gone on infinitely, maybe I would have eventually caught up. Caught up but, but having those quests certainly helps. Yeah. Unless you're willing to go and get the risk of getting a lot more uh, artifact cards from the general store. Yeah. And then use the extra resources to... Hopefully catch them points by just by sheer volume, but there's well, a risk because then you lose points if you don't complete them. Yeah, and then there's the risky thing of like trying to complete trade routes, you know? Right. Yeah. 
Um, it's always a every. T- I feel like every time I I'm like, okay, this time I'm gonna do the train routes. It's always it always falls out <laughs> from under me. You know, I start doing a couple and then somebody steals one because they like complete half of it. Yeah, which means I just lost like seven. Do you know what's interesting? <laughs> because that so and I'm I'm this is not delving into spoilers. Don't worry, anybody. But that map had a lot of threats. And yeah. the threats kind of really broke up the map, so there's almost like walls that you have to go through a threat. And as they get really high, like an eight or nine requirement to be through, if you don't have a lot of swords in your party, or you don't have a shield, or you're not willing to sacrifice your pack animals to get through it, you kind of are limited, like your scope of the map was kind of contained. And so uh, that was advantageous for some people, and others it wasn't. But um, once we kind of got through all that, and once the threats deck was depleted, it kind of opened up the map. There's no more threats. We didn't have to worry about those impasses. Oh, yeah. And once we got like on the other side, uh, I thought for sure everyone was going to scramble for those trade rats because they hadn't been taken care of. And it was interesting because two of them were completed, but two of them were not. Mm. And they were worth 10 points on that second map. 10 points if you get oh, both yeah, ends yeah. of it. <laughs> you think that was like that, the, right there. The values two, changed. Two routes, yeah. right? That's 20 points. That's the difference between... First and second place. Oh, yeah. So, so because we weren't utilizing that side, because they weren't getting immediate resource gain, I think there may have been some mistake on. I completed one of them on my own. I tried, but the distance to get there, yeah, just I, I fell myself that's, that's not because I didn't have a lot of movement, so I couldn't reach the other ends of it in time. Yeah, that that's the other risky thing. If you, I feel like if you do those too early, you put yourself at a disadvantage. Yeah, the trade routes. It's yeah. all about timing. But if you don't do them at all and you wait too yeah, long, they're going to lose your opportunity. Yeah. One interesting thought I just had is that kind of the time management stuff I was talking about in Persona 5, Yeah. it's kind of a lot like turn management in a board game like Near and Far. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, you that know, sounds... every day you only have like a couple blocks of time, so you can only do like two things a day. That would be like that's a like turn where you only have so your, your action points yeah. for your turn. And you're trying to maximize, like, the best you can do with those periods of time. Like, you yeah. don't want to waste your turn. You don't want to waste your day. Yeah. yeah that's totally. interesting. Totally. It's very similar. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't been able to play Persona 5 in a bit because I lost my glasses. Oh. And I'm playing it on the Japanese audio, and I can't read the words on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't read the subtitles, so I have to wait for my new glasses to arrive oh, yeah. before I can lost. play more. I lost my glasses. Yeah. You can That's find an extra pair of glasses. So I'm without glasses Send for a while. Send them to Brenna. Uh, you know, <laughs> we'll <need> some Brenna. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully everybody's keeping track here. That's a PS4 and PS3 for me, and extra Our glasses, glasses. <laughs> for Brenna. <laughs> Brian, any requests? Send those to the uh, PO box. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have for you today, and uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Please visit our website, redravengames.com, and follow us on Twitter at redravengame. You can follow me on Twitter at Brenna underscore Asplund. Come talk to me about Persona 5. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, also uh, chat with me on Board Game Geek. I'm user uh, Wispwalker, so feel free to add me as a geek buddy. We'd like to thank Fluid Volt for the use of our theme song, Doggy Goes Moo, off the album Clay Memories. You can find more of their music on soundcloud.com slash fluidvolt. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Play lots of games. See you later. Nevermore.
Yeah, no, the the freakiest thing when I'm not wearing my glasses is like when I go somewhere out in public and it's like, oh, I can't see any of the people around me. <laughs> I can't see any faces. <laughs> somebody's like, somebody shouts at you from a crowd. What are they looking You're like, like, I'm not even going to turn yeah, what's around. what's weird is like, not you're walking trying. along and like, you know, or somebody you know, like, is coming down the trail Exactly, you don't like, know. You're like... like they're like, why are they not looking at me? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> are they mad? <laughs> exactly. It's like, no, I just can't see you. 